You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. We are on episode 34. Are there any uh, special occasions um, Yeah, connected with the number 34? Uh, twice 17 is the only thing that came to mind. <laughs> That's perfect. That's all we need. So we're going to magazine sponsors us. Um, we're going to start with a little bit of follow up from our, from last week's discussion. Uh, we got some, some good feedback on Facebook from our great fan, Matthias. So, uh, what did he leave there? Oh, he left quite a comment. I, I was going to try to pull an excerpt, but it's, it's just a whole essay. Um, um, so maybe I'll just read a few passages. Um, so he was responding to our discussion of why we love music, what, what really gets us going as far as good songs and, and good production. And, uh, he said, uh, he's, he, uh, let's see. Um, there are songs he considers most important when through the music he feels like he gets a musical revelation of experience. And it might just be a fragment of a song or, you know, you're waiting the whole track for that one moment in that song. And that's what brings you back to the song over and over. Um, I can definitely remember, you know, even as a kid, I had a cassette tape full of oldies and, uh, there were just some of those songs like, you know, these classic songs like The Lion Sleeps Tonight or, um, Roy Orbison or all these things and just, uh, rewinding the tape over and over to hear the chorus or, you know, if it had a magnificent bridge and you just want to hear those things over and over and loop them. And now it's trivial to loop things. It almost, it's almost like turning God mode on and I can actually take the joy out of things sometimes. But, um, he also says, uh, music kind of helps him experience someone else's point of view, which, uh, I, I think we we mentioned in the show as being one of the wonderful things, but it's really it's really a huge comment. There's the, um, a lot of detail here, so uh, we we've got a link to the Facebook post if you want to check that out, and also leave your own comments on why you love music, and uh, also any songs you love. Right on. So to start with the uh, with our actual topics in this show, um, first up we've got this bone conducting headphones. Uh, called bat band bat like the i don't know the bat with with which you would play baseball or maybe the bat which hangs upside down from the ceiling <laughs> sonar i don't know it looks weird so this oh is uh, this is kind of like a headband that you put on more on your head or around your head than on your ears because it's not supposed to to cover your ears at all it's actually transmitting the sound directly through your bones into your head um it's it's not the first time that technology is, has uh, used that principle. I think Google Glass actually does that for their audio uh, speaker thingy on the yeah on Google Glass, but I've never seen actual headphones, and maybe these are the first. I guess uh, that's the reason. I I watched the video and I saw those uh, little testimonials of people um, putting it on and smiling like crazy because this it it I guess it does sound weird or at least. Um, unusual uh, somebody described it that usually you um you know where the sound is it's in front of your ears on both sides of your ears so it's kind of inside of you like this this there's no dead center on the stage on this virtual stage that you're listening to when everything's coming from left and right it's it's like in your head 
but this seems to be even more in your head because you're not even hearing them through your usual hearing uh, organs, I guess, or at least um, you're completely bypassing the whole outer ear, which kind of shapes the sound. I mean, people have different ears and that causes them to perceive things a little differently and we're used to the way we are listening to the world and suddenly we completely bypass that. So in a sense, these must be the most neutral headphones ever developed. <laughs> I guess neutral in, in some sense, but I mean, most things you're going to hear in your entire life, you're not going to hear through these. So if you're mixing for the way other people are going to hear something, it may, I don't know, I'm speaking without having experienced what these things actually sound like. Um, maybe they would be useful for some sort of diagnostic neutrality but maybe not for actually knowing what other people are going to hear your music as. Um, I can't get past how these things look. And <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment in the video where the guy like puts his finger up on his head and like, they must be some like touch sensitivity, like some yeah. volume controls. Um, but he's got this like thousand yard destiny stare <laughs> off into the distance. <laughs> and it looks like he's in like, Joni Ives white room and so there's just like what and I mean it looks kind of like a, a girl's like hair band that they put on their yeah. head to like you know hold their hair down except you put it on kind of backwards for that purpose and um, I don't know it just it just looks strange and they they're like it looks elegant and it's a sleek design I'm like no it looks like crazy like no no one's gonna I wear mean, this on its on its own like this picture here where it's resting on the book on this uh, 50 year or at least oh no the book doesn't really look old it's just the cover that looks old uh, maybe the Final Fantasy 12 companion guide um, yeah they do look elegant on their own but yeah once you put them on I mean just looking at that it seems like they would fall off any second at, at least <laughs> Either they are on the brink of falling off or they're squeezing your head so much that you might as well just put on headphones. So right off the bat in the video, you, you've got to watch this video, which you can find in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 34. Um, there's a, a, a girl with a ponytail and she like turns her head and it's like sort of slow-mo product footage. And I can't help but think of that one where did the soda go animation where the the lady like pours tea through her nose and out another nostril. And, uh, <laughs> it just I know looks what you mean. Let me Google for that. Yeah. Sorry, cat interference <laughs> happening. Um, but it just looks like so crazy right off the bat. I was like, Nope, <laughs> not wearing that. <laughs> All right. I got the gif. <laughs> yep. That's what it makes me think of. So we'll, we'll include that gif. <laughs> Yeah, so from seeing that video, I thought we might just, uh, we could just talk a little bit about headphones in general. Um, we talked about room acoustics, uh, two episodes back, and we mentioned that I'm solely using headphones anyway. So we're kind of mentioning headphones all the time. So we should actually talk about them. Like what kind of headphones do exist, uh, what they are useful, useful for, what are the downsides and the advantages. Um, so I guess the kind of headphones that everybody is uh, familiar with is the regular earbuds, the things you get with your iPhone or iPad or whatever you buy from Apple usually includes those, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, um, yep. And so everybody knows those. They usually, they're usually the, the things you can buy for $3 at the store and you throw away a week later because they are broken already. <laughs> um, I mean, there are some, uh, yeah, higher technical, um, some, 
some high fidelity ear earbuds with the same architecture. But in general, I kind of consider them or I, I I think of them as something that's kind of low-fi or low-tech or definitely yeah throwaway. Um, I would never invest much in in those kind of earbuds, and and I've never really liked them because they usually just fall out of my ears at some place during my journey to to uh, school or to work or wherever. Like when I was uh, riding my bike, usually uh, those things fall out all the time. Yeah, I've had that problem with the Apple earbuds for the longest time. They used to come packed with these little the little black like foam. You could not not foam. Um, little black fuzz you could put over it to and the, with those on you could actually stick it in the ear and it'd be okay um the new ones actually do fit my ears but i, I won the lottery the apple head <laughs> ear, ear pods as they call them um actually fit in my ears um they they're pretty mediocre in sound they're they're clearly cheap pack-in headphones even though i, I think apple sells them separately for 30 dollars um so they're, they're making a killing there but yeah, they're they're just okay. I really mostly listen to podcasts, so it kind of doesn't matter to me. So, um, since they happen to fit my ears, I just use them most of the time. But if I actually want to get a, a good experience listening to music, I I really do reach for my my big can headphones. And there's kind of an upgrade, I would say, to the usual earbuds, which are in ear earphones or in ear earbuds. So uh, these are the ones that are actually kind of extending into your ear canal. Usually they don't fall out as much, at least for me. I've, I've noticed that they are usually uh, a little bit tighter in there. Um, you can usually um, swap the plastic thingies to yeah, wider ones. So depending on your ear, you can actually customize them. Usually they sound better. Now that could be just because the manufacturing is uh, more expensive and people who buy those usually put more money into them. So it doesn't really have to do with the technology. It's just that the ones that I know usually sound better than the regular earbuds. And um, for the most time, I'm, I've used like 20 euro in-ears for um, when I'm playing live for live monitoring. They are kind of flat in the response, so they don't boost the bass as much, which I really don't like. And especially on those little earbuds, boosting the bass yeah. is usually not the best idea. So um, yeah, there is a little bit of an upgrade there. So if you only really want something to put in, into your ear, do look for, for some in-ear earphones because... They're not really that more expensive, but they're usually better. Yeah. And uh, so for listening to music, in-ear strikes a lot of good balances on convenience. And, you know, there aren't these big bulky things you got to pack in your bag. Um, as far as, like, production goes, there no one really mixes with in-ear headphones. And that's because there's really a ceiling on how good they can get for that purpose. And, uh, you know, there, I, I don't think I've ever seen any any actual audio engineer using in-ear headphones for anything other than <laughs> yeah. just to for check. monitoring. Yeah, yeah. To check it. Um, and so that's where we get to the, the bigger can headphones. I keep calling them cans. To my Twitter <laughs> friend Brett was laughing at me for saying cans like a hundred times. Um, and these come in a couple different varieties. Um, some of the big categorical differences are whether these are open back or closed back. Um, which is like what it sounds like. Do the headphones actually have open spaces that let um, presumably room sound would bleed through? But more importantly, it, it gives you a more airy experience so that you can um, 
you can hear more accurately. Whereas closed back gives you a more private experience, especially if these are headphones you still intend to use in public. Um, but, you know, I thought we could talk through um, some of our favorite headphones. Yeah, sure. About two years back, I, I was on the market for some new headphones, for some proper headphones. But also, I didn't want to shell out more than $200. So um, there are some headphones in that category which are praised all over the net. And they only have like minute differences. Uh, some some have to do with taste and some have to do with uh, the the, yeah the actual the cable with it and how comfortable they might be. So um, I actually chose back then the AKG K271 MK2. Lots of numbers, lots of letters there. <laughs> I kind of was deciding between those and the Biodynamic DT77, no, DT770. Um, people said that the Biodynamic were a little more bass heavy, just just a little bit. So uh, I really wanted to go for the flat response. I don't like a boosted bass at all. So I just went with the AKGs. I'm happy. I've never felt like those headphones couldn't do what I want them to do. Um, they're comfortable. They have this thing where if I take them off, they actually shut off completely. Huh. And by with a mechanism, by if you pull on the on the cans themselves, like it actually activates. And yeah, the most important thing uh, is the cable can actually be replaced, so I can pull it out here. Um, because you don't want to buy new headphones just because your cable is broken. But I think all of those have that nowadays. Uh, most of them, not my uh, M50s. Um, the I, I had used a very similar model, the AKG K240s, which I think are just a little below your your models, and uh, for years and very comfortable. Very uh, they're they're open back, aren't they? I don't know. Let me check. Um, very comfortable. I mixed a lot of things on them and. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that varies between headphones and your your head shape and your head size is which ones are going to be really comfortable for you, um, not just which ones sound the best. Because if, if if you're going to be sitting with these for hours mixing, you, you don't want that fatigue. Um, as far as comfort goes, some of my most favorite headphones I've ever worn are not the best quality, but the Sony MDR7506, have you ever put on a pair of those? You probably nope. have. No. These are ubiquitous, so um, they're very recognizable headphones. They're kind of famous. They're only like 80 bucks, so they're very affordable. If you just want to get started in this space and you don't want to drop $300 on Beats, you don't, so <laughs> don't do that. But um, it's a great entry-level way uh, to, to get a good yeah. pair of headphones. Just and, check Google Images. Yes, I've put them on at the yeah. testing, testing some equipment, but at somebody else's place, so... Yeah, um, they, they're not the best quality. You can do better, but they're, it's really tempting sometimes if I'm going to be on the go and I'm not, you know, I'm not in a special audio file room that I'm going to be listening in. Um, the MDRs are tempting just because they're so damn comfortable. Um, but I also felt that way about the AKGs. They, they were very comfortable. Um, these days I'm using the Audio Technica M50s. And uh, these are, you know, I did some research before I bought them, and they're supposed to be among the best quality you can get before you go above $200 and start getting into real audiophile territory. And uh, I have to say, they, they do sound really good. I do think, like the Bayer Dynamics, they, they have a reputation for having a slight bass boost or a slight, slightly bumped low end, which I usually don't mind, but... 
I, I do kind of sometimes regret not getting something that's a little more comfortable. I don't feel like I can wear these, or at least when I first got them, they, they felt like they clung to my head and like I just got really tired. But I actually, I, I have a globe, so I put them on the globe to stretch them out <laughs> and just left them there for an entire day and then they got way more comfortable. So that was more of a, a physical dimension thing than the actual cans. And my one other model of headphones I would call out is uh, when I was mixing Feed My Mind, I had Mackie monitors, which were nice to, to have actual monitors. But um, my friend Brandon, who is an audiophile, I will say, um, he he actually you know carries around expensive audiophile headphones and has an amp to power them that go out of his phone. Um, he has a pair of Audis, and I forget which exact model. And I think it from the pictures, it looked like it was an LCD, which those start around a thousand dollars and go up, up, up from there. And these things were open back. They're huge. They're wooden. They sound so clean and clear. Um, among the, the best things I've ever heard as far as headphones go. I'm probably never going to spend that much money on headphones, but it was really cool to borrow them. I might also check the AKG 240s. They were semi-open. So if you uh, uh, look at the image, uh, you can see those little openings there for the for the membrane. So they're semi-open. Semi-hollow, all these yeah. in-betweens. <laughs> so there's some other dimensions of headphones that we would talk about. And you're, you and Lions have joined this world. So Bluetooth versus cable. So basically, do you want your headphones to be wireless? And yep. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. So at least for on the go. Um, I mean, at home, I, I I don't know if they're actually. I guess there are studio uh, headphones, but they are not connected through Bluetooth, but probably some kind of other. Um, um, yeah, what's the word? Like RF or something. Yeah, yeah, some RF system or something. Um, but on the go, I really don't like cables anymore. So I, I ventured from earbuds to in ears, and they all had cables, and then I went just put my my headphones which i'm wearing right now but they were too clunky and too big and they kind of draw attention to them to themselves on the street so i I wanted something a little more elegant and also wireless and so i got this these here um they are only i think 40 euros or 40 dollars on 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 amazon and they're really great and they have bluetooth and this is the best ever like i i never really used the the um the audio jack in my phone anymore since I have them. And, uh, it's also great if you like usually switch between, um, driving in your car and having your car radio, uh, your stereo, which has Bluetooth and your headphones. So if I go shopping, I drive to the supermarket. I have my music through Bluetooth and then I turn off the engine. I put on the headphones and it just seamlessly plays on the headphones. Like there's nothing. You don't have to do anything anymore. And that's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I've been slowly circling joining the Bluetooth headphones world, and I'll get there eventually. Maybe I'll buy these ones you bought. We'll, we'll include those in the show notes too. Um, and then the the one more uh, dimension of some. This is definitely more a consumer level. And me and Lions talked about this on flipping tables the other day because he was so excited about them. Um, and that's noise canceling headphones and Bose has kind of made their name with like really pushing their noise canceling headphones. So the, the situation is you're on a plane, you're on the subway, you're in some public space that has awful noise 
that's irritating. There's babies crying. There's buses screeching with their brakes that need to be replaced. And uh, noise canceling uses uh, uses phase cancellation, which we actually talked on an FX plane uh, several episodes back. And so there's little tiny mics uh, on these headphones that listen to the world around you and then are able to cancel that out in your ears um, using phase cancellation so that you just hear, you know, you could even put these headphones on and switch them on and just have, you know, a peaceful, quiet silence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Awkward digital silence where you don't know where you are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some people for visually that's I'm holding a book. Don't talk to me. It's just kind of like I'm wearing headphones. <laughs> I can't hear you even if I'm. Yeah. Um, but by the then, way, it still doesn't work. I usually wear headphones because I don't want people to talk to me, and it's still it's still that in in a crowd of people they are usually um, approaching me to ask for directions. Although I'm the one who's <laughs> wearing the headphones. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I've I, I've never owned a pair of these. I've probably tried them at a kiosk in a mall, but I've never actually um, used them in in the in the wild. Have you? Nope. Not a single instance of using that, uh, using those. Sadly, maybe I'll get to that someday Pe- too. People but. say they are expensive. Maybe someday. Yeah, and the, that's the thing is, as far as I know, the Bo- like the Bose headphones, which are some of the most famous ones, um, the the noise canceling is awesome. I'm not so sure the headphones are that <laughs> yeah, that great. Aside from that, um, I haven't the, heard great thing about, things about Bose in general. So it may be pretty mediocre he- mediocre headphones, but maybe just canceling your environment is enough <laughs> to get where you, where you want to go. <laughs> I would love to be on an airplane and not have to deal with, you know, the engine hum just takes over the low and low mids completely. And so if you want to hear those in your music, you basically have to compete with that, which means destroying your ears. Yeah. Maybe they should have like a renting service of uh, for noise canceling headphones on planes. Uh. I would buy. I wouldn't buy them for myself completely because uh, I do want to be able to hear the outside world. Otherwise, I'm going to be run over by a car on my way to work. But in such a situation, um, yeah, on a plane it would be great. <laughs> yeah, just like hey, five bucks. I know this is a you know an international flight. If you're going to be on the plane for eight or twelve hours, why not? Somebody should, uh, or maybe does does it really exist? Um, like a modular system in a way that you can modify or, or you you have those noise cancelling headphones which aren't really headphones but you put your actual headphones in there so they only act as cancelling out the noise but not really the headphones themselves. I don't know if that would be possible. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so Bose Quiet Comfort noise cancelling headphones are $300. These ones are also wireless. So if they sound good, if they sound like the one hundred fifty euro headphones I'm wearing right now, that would be okay. Like the one hundred fifty dollars extra for noise canceling, I would be okay with that. Yeah, they also have in ear noise canceling, also three hundred dollars. Wow, headphones get expensive. If you just care about quality, though, um, these three hundred dollar prices are actually more than you need to pay. Um, you can right. find stuff that's like one hundred fifty or even a hundred dollars. That will dramatically increase the quality from whatever packed in earphones you're using. And so definitely check out the links um, that we've included in the show notes um, for the full range from the, I would say your entry level would be the Sony MDRs if you just want to drop $80 and have a decent experience and very comfortable. Um, 
it's in those those are still headphones I'd be willing to wear in public. Um, some of these other ones are, get a little bulkier. Um, but check out the links, and uh, if you have a chance to go into a store where you can listen to some over-compressed music with them, that would be <laughs> a good way to decide which one you like. So before we get into it, I've, I've explained this uh, this week. I found this guitar-to-banjo device on Kickstarter, the so-called Guitar-Jo. I, at first I thought that this was something like a guitar-to-midi thing where it's just a sampled banjo or a banjo synthesizer. But this is actually a device that dampens your strings. So, so the guitar itself does uh, does sound like a banjo, the physical instrument, which is kind of neat and interesting. Uh, usually, and it should make it a little bit less expensive and because it's really just some mechanics. There's no electronics in there. What I really found interesting, though, is the video at the top of the page. <laughs> so it begins with um, a fade-in. You see a banjo player, and right away, I don't know if, if it was the same for you, you know right away that this guy is not playing that track <laughs> yeah. for a simple reason that it is a backing track. Um, now, when it does fade to the guitar player later on, he still isn't playing that. It's very, very obvious and very jarring. So he plays the banjo, and about one measure in, he notices, wait who's that guy next to me playing the thing that I'm playing looks to the guitar player and then yeah he gives us appreciating nod and puts his banjo away like, and then he just leaves I've been replaced <laughs> and I just noticed that the way he nods it looks like the angry video game nod a little bit yeah. then it slowly pans to this guy playing playing a Stratocaster which sounds like a banjo and still it doesn't sound like he's actually playing it and if you look at the drummer the things he's playing don't really match up with the drums as well but this scene brings up so many questions <laughs> <laughs> uh, f first of all why is the banjo player sitting there playing in the first place um when when there is a guitar player next to him also why does the guitarist not inform the banjo player in the, beforehand that he's going <laughs> to replace him and i do want to know what the what uh happened to the banjo player afterwards did he leave the band did he switch to another instrument and why does the drummer not give a single f in the whole situation <laughs> yeah because he's just doing his little shuffle beat in, in his own world uh, yeah, it's really all in service of these really, really cheesy dad jokes, basically. Um, <laughs> at the end of the video, it says, best twang for your buck. And <laughs> I groaned pretty hard at that. Um, I don't know. I mean, the actual thing, you know, if this is representative of its sound, uh, especially for a live situation, I could see it being totally worth it. To, you know, banjos are a pain in the ass. Let me just say that. Um, <laughs> good banjos, can, they can be very heavy. Um, if you're going to wear it a whole show, it's just like, you know, 20, 30, 40 pounds on your back. Um, I don't know if they get up to 40, but um, they're also... Um, just painful in live sound situations because you know you can install a pickup on them um, or mic them but you still have to it's challenging to get any sort of monitoring if you don't want feedback to be a problem um, they can be very harsh if your sound guy doesn't really know what he's doing with it and uh, to have more control and also the convenience of using an electric guitar where um, feedback is not usually a problem when you're playing an electric guitar unless you have like a totally open <laughs> um, semi-hollow that's and, and you're using it terribly. I don't know. I'm just and trying high to... gain and you're standing directly in front of your amp. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely see using something like this, especially live to, to get a, a banjo sound into your set. Yeah. 
So uh, I think they got funded. Let me check this again. I don't. But I think yep, they actually got funded. Funded. Um, as I said, the device itself it does look promising. It does sound promising. It's simple. Uh, it's just the video. It's it's very cheap, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> How much are they going to sell this thing for once they're done? Um, I think if you pledge forty five dollars, you get one. So I think it'll be around that price. Your very own guitar, guitar drill. But wouldn't you want to bump up to sixty and get a T-shirt? Okay, maybe not. Does does the T-shirt say "Best Trying for the Buck"? Because then <laughs> my answer is yes. It's just a screenshot of the disappointed banjo player. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into FX Plane. Yeah. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, we started doing a series of these uh, where we explain popular effects or instruments or techniques and uh today's topic is synths and i'm mostly going to defer to you because you know more <laughs> than me about synths and i mostly know enough to be dangerous and to, to click around and go i don't know what i'm doing as with the filter episode we're going to stick with the basics for now because it's such a broad topic there's so many kinds of synthesizers so we're just going to talk about the, the basics of where the sound actually comes from because I remember um, back in the day when I just had a keyboard, like some Yamaha or Casio keyboard, I always wondered where does the sound originate. And I always thought that actual synthesizers and electronic music, they are all based on some actual real world, real world sample or sound. And I didn't know that there is a way to just synthesize sound completely, like just a waveform. Like this concept was completely new to me. Um, but this is how most of them work. So the most used kinds of synthesizers or synthesis is subtractive, additive, FM synthesis, wavetable, and granular synthesis. These are the ones that I mostly see talked about on the net. Although I usually only use subtractive, FM, and a little bit of wavetable in there, um, which has to do with me using massive from native instruments everywhere. And it's, <laughs> it combines the three very well. Three of those, subtractive, additive, and FM synthesis, are based on the typical oscillators and waveforms. So what is an oscillator? An oscillator is nothing more than something that generates a wave with a certain form. It can be a sine wave, which is just completely round. Yeah, not round. It's uh, smooth, very, very smooth. Yeah. You can have a triangle. I always think of these like old like seventies computer screens that you know they're they're CRTs they're they're warped and the the green grid and then the the green light <laughs> that goes up and down. Yeah. So usually you have those simple building blocks of sine wave, triangle, square, sawtooth, and you have some white noise. Always some good old white noise. If you only use those, you can build most of anything you ever want to build um, through all these techniques. And that's the fun part about synthesis. You can do something very simple or you can do something very complex. I, I thought we might just uh, um, play with some waveforms here just so everybody can kind of learn how they sound like, what the difference is. So we can we should start with the sine wave, obviously, because the sine wave is the most simple waveform. And we talked about this in some other FX plane that a sine wave only encompasses one single frequency. If it's a pure sine wave, there's only one frequency present here. So if I just play a regular C, uh, middle C here, that's it. That's all there is to, to a sine wave. Yeah. Sounds like an emergency broadcast. Yeah, no edge to it, nothing, no dimension. It's just a very flat sound. But it sounds smooth, like if I play something else, it doesn't hurt or anything. Lots of 80s PC games. 
<laughs> so if we start roughening it up a little bit, we get a triangle wave, uh, which is kind of like a sine wave with pointy ends in this, in a sense. Um, it has a little bit more in the high frequency range there. So we're opening it up a little bit. Gets a little scratchier. Yeah. And a little bit more NES, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still it's, it's not that harsh. Um, then we can have a square wave and I do like me some square wave. <laughs> so a little bit more harsh and extends very high in the frequency range. And it also works very well for bass sounds. Like, cause you have some texture to it. Yeah, right. You, you have the low, low end of the bass, but you also get a lot of texture on above, like a little, so it actually has some timbre and instead of just being a noise down there. Yeah, and then, um, the sawtooth. Sounds a little bit like the square wave, but a little bit thinner also. Yeah. Oh, and then with, uh, a lot of synth instruments in, in your DAW, um, you can, you can mix these together. So, you know, if you, if you like some aspects of the square wave, but you miss some of the purity of a straight up sine wave, you can, you can mix these things. Right. And that's basically where, um, the difficult, uh, different architectures of synthesizer come from. Um, there's very different ways to combine and mix these. Um, the simplest one is to just have a few of those oscillators. Um, I'm right now I'm actually not in massive. I'm in silence. It has four oscillators. Um, I can just layer them on top of each other, um, filter them and that's it. There are others where you can do FM synthesis which we're not going to get into today because you can write a whole book about FM synthesis, <laughs> where um, one oscillator actually controls the frequency of another oscillator and it's oscillators the whole way down. So um, <laughs> very complicated. Um, today I wanted to just talk a little bit about the subtractive uh, synthesis because if you do want to get into synthesis and building your own sounds in a synthesizer, subtractive synthesis is the easiest one of those, I think, and the most common ones also. The, the way you, you do subtractive synthesis is that you start with a sound that is very full. So, um, let's say we can start with a, with a square wave here. As we heard, a square wave has a little bit more going on than a sine wave. And we can then play around with it. Let's just add, let's add a sawtooth on top of that, uh, square wave. So I, I will now fade in the, 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 uh, sawtooth slowly. So we start with this sound, but it does sound harsh. It does sound a little bit too simple. So what we do is usually we reply one or more filters. And we talked about filters and in an episode back, we might link to that in the show notes so you can catch up on, on the filters. I'm going to use a low pass filter now. And now it sounds like this. So we have a little bit of edge from the square wave and the sawtooth uh, but it doesn't really hurt that much in our ears because all the high end is gone and just from this playing around uh, and adding some more stuff we can maybe yeah get like a lead synth sound or maybe build a pad from this but um, this is where we get into the other dimension where we can play with oscillators and waveforms and sounds in general um, ADSR what is ADSR? Ah, it's an acronym. It stands for Attack, Decay, Sustain, and Release. And uh, 
you know, even after you've chosen the sound of your synth, um, the way it gets played, and you can almost think of it as um, analogous to some concepts you get from other instruments. Like if you have a violin player, they can bow it for a long sound or they can pluck it for a short sound. Um, and, and there's all these different ways you can strike your instrument. Well, ADSR is kind of like that for synths. Um, when when you press on your synth, is it an instantaneous noise or does it gradually, and that's what would attack would be, um, and when you let go of the key, um, does it instantly stop or does it kind of like die slowly? Um, and that would be your decay. And then also, if you're just holding a note, is it more like a string where you can have a constant sound that just, you know, as long as you hold that note down, the sound continues at full strength? Or um, you can adjust your sustain if you want that to not be the case. Um, maybe it is a sound that needs to decay and you can actually have no sustain. Um, so no matter how long you hold the key, it's really only paying attention to the decay and uh, release. Oh, I guess I guess I mixed them up. Release would be after you release the key. Um, decay right. is uh, after the strike, um, it'll go to whatever your sustain is using the decay as the measure of how long it takes to get there. Easy to mix these things up. So what did I screw up? <laughs> yeah, usually, um, and I always have to remind myself of that, only three of those have to do with time. So attack is the time it takes to rise. Decay is the time it takes to drop to the sustain volume. So sustain is actually then the volume at which, is, at which the sound is held. As long as I'm holding the key, I know the sound is going to be at the volume I set for the sustain level. And then it gradually dies off, uh, and the time it takes to die off is the release time there. Yeah. With the sound that we built just now, which is still very simple, we can play around with this a little bit. So right now I have very short attack and very short release, which means if I put the, if I push the button, it's instantaneous. And if I let go, it goes away instantaneously. So let's start with the attack. I'm adding some time here. I don't know if this is in seconds or milliseconds <laughs> or something. Yeah. Now it's fading in and let me make it even slower. <laughs> so you might as well think that I just uh, played with the volume knob, but so this happens on its own then for every key that I press. And let's play with the other end with the release. Let's add, um, I make the attack a little bit shorter, and now we have a lot of release. So nothing surprising there, but right away, this could be a sound used in a Super Nintendo game. If we play some chords. Reminds me of some Game Boy sounds. <laughs> Doesn't sound that bad. I mean, it sounds simple, but you could use that somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and from there on, it, it just uh, any combination has yeah. a different effect. Um, what I like to do is just have very short sounds which decay very quickly. As I said last week, those little... Yes, I, I, I'm also a fan of short attack, but uh, just a little bit of release so that it's almost like there's a, there's not really reverb, but it kind of gives a little decay and echo to, to what you're yeah. doing. And just playing with those gives a dramatic effect to the sound. I mean, you just heard how I can, you can turn a lead sound into a, into a pad sound or into some kind of digital e-piano sound very quickly by just adjusting these four sliders there and I n never change anything about the waveform themselves 
And also just, um, I, I know that from the attack, there's uh, a lot going on just in the last 10 milliseconds of the attack. If you reduce it down to zero, it gets very percussive in the sound. But um, just playing with this little span of 10 milliseconds can really yeah. make the sound a little bit feel differently. Like not really sound differently, but feel differently. Yeah, I've definitely had some synths I'm playing with where it's just it's just too harsh at entrance and just taking that attack and just, you know, five, ten milliseconds can make a huge difference in making yeah. the sound more pleasing and less of a like stab in your ear. Yeah. Yeah, and from from there on, um th- this this is kind of the basic of subtractive synthesis. Build a wave that's that sounds really huge or has a lot going on, then filter that out which you don't want. Um apply the ADSR, the, the envelope, the volume envelope, and you could stop at that point. But of course, there are a million more ways, things you <laughs> yeah. can do, effects, it, just general audio effects that you can side apply. Side-chaining. <laughs> side-chaining stuff. Um, as I said, modulating, especially modulating stuff and detuning stuff. It's just so much uh, so much stuff. Um, but these are generally basics. You have an oscillator, it creates the sound for you. You say how it's supposed to sound like, how it's supposed to, um, yeah, follow the volume envelope. Does it, should it be a quick sound or a long sound? And yeah, then you have some basic sounds. And sounds are great. I love some, I love sounds. Sounds are good. Fucking love sounds. And <laughs> let's have some great sounds, combinations of sounds over the span of a few minutes. Let's have, <laughs> let's have our picks of the week. Yes, uh, I'll go first this time. Um, I picked. A, I didn't pick an arpeggiated electronic song this time, so we can uh, maybe yay for variety. <laughs> um, even though I do like me some arpeggiated electronic sounds. Um, this time I picked a, more of a, a pop song, an indie pop song. And this is a, a well-known artist, Magnetic Fields. And uh, he released an album called I, and every single song on this album starts with the letter I. It's kind of a little adorable concept. And when we hear this song, you'll see why I'm using the word adorable. Um, but uh, I really think this song is just kind of like pop in the best sense of like really tightly crafted, pleasant, good melodies. Production is like, it's, there's like no corner of this that hasn't been refined and isn't very interesting um, but also doesn't stick around too long. So let's listen to a little bit of I Don't Believe You. You tell me I'm not not cute It's truth or falsity is moot Cause honesty's not your strong suit And I don't believe you I don't Yeah, so there you got a little verse chorus, and uh, he actually manages to pack in probably eight verse chorus back and forth. It's a um, significant number, and I think he gets away with that because his lyrics change every single time, and uh, they're very fun to hear how he develops the words over time. And also, it, they're very short, like the, the chorus is like two lines or or so, and um, you just you don't get sick of it because he keeps leaving it. So... I know major key. You're, you're going to hate this song, but what do you think of this song? <laughs> I don't hate the song just because it's major key. I hate it for different reasons. No, I, I don't hate the song completely. Yet. Um, it's it's a 
Great song. Um, there's this pattern showing that your picks of the week usually have those clever lyrics. Um, I, I could spot that from a mile away. Um, I, I like that little panned snare fill that happens every once in a while where the snare is just on the left and then on the right. And that's a little fun. And it sounds like it's just a fun song. So it works very well. Um, I also asked myself if the banjo player in the band will eventually be replaced with a guitarjo player. <laughs> probably already has been. He's probably kickstarted that. Um, <laughs> when you mentioned the the pan snare fill, I'd actually when I listened to the song again, I noticed that the drums are very decentralized in this song in general, um, which is kind of non traditional for very pop music. But um, it's also the 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 drum beat isn't very prominent in the song. It's more of a it's definitely accompaniment and not yeah. a full beat. So maybe that's why he ha got to have some fun panning this stuff to extreme sides. So what was your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Delphic with the song Submission. Um, Delphic, I, I saw them as the opener for Block Party back in 2009. And I, I remember them, I kept them in mind because... Throughout the whole set, the drummer just played 16th hi-hats the whole way through. Like, he never really stopped. I, I He probably did stop at some point, but it's just they played the whole set through with basically no break, and I thought it was pretty cool. And Delphic is just electronic rock at its finest. Um, when I found them, I was basically in the forming years of, of the Astray, and they shaped a lot of what I was expecting ourselves to sound like a little bit. And they have a really good blend of the electronic and the rock elements. So one of them doesn't overpower the other one. Let's just hear a little bit of Delphic Submission. So there's a lot going on in in the background of the song to fill it up. Lots of arpeggios and pads that kind of sweep up and down in the sample and hold kind of fashion. And also the singer is just phenomenal, I think. He has great vocal range and I really like to use those songs to practice to extend my own vocal range. And to this day, I cannot sing this song completely through without breaking at some point, <laughs> trying to hit that high note. Yeah, um, there was a... A number of elements that jumped out to me on this song. The early in the song, some of the high pitched arpeggio reminds me a lot of video game music, and uh, always a, a draw to me to, to hear some of that stuff. And maybe video games were imitating eighties music, or there's some kind of back and forth there. Um, there, there was a strong eighties vibe, and maybe it's nice that we talked about synths for our FX plane um, because there, there's a lot of that happening in this song. Um, but the, the singing style def didn't feel 80s to me. So I, I, it was a nice contrast there. Um, and, uh, I have to laugh at the YouTube link, which we'll include in the, the show notes. Um, the, it, I don't get these disclaimers that YouTubers sometimes <laughs> put in their descriptions. And usually the classic one is no copyright intended, which I don't think they understand <laughs> how words sense. work. Um, but in this one, he, he's saying, the video quality sucks because I had to make room because he said his upload speed sucked. So he, he didn't want to have a big video. 
fine. But he says, you know, best audio quality possible. And uh, you look at the the YouTube, your options as far as the bit rate, and it's 144p. It's your the, only choice. the lowest that even exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I was just like, no compression intended. Like, yeah. you'd almost imagine that would be his comment. Uh, And technically he is correct because I tried to look up a different version on YouTube and the only other version that exists also has auto one, uh, the setting to 144. So it is the best audio quality on YouTube right now, but still, I don't know how that, how how that even works. How, I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's like in the, there's a movie coming out called the Martian with Matt Damon and, uh, he he says I'm the best botanist on this planet, and he's the only guy on Mars. So yeah, you can have yeah. the best quality <laughs> if you're the only one. As always, you will find those picks of the week in our show notes at sunriserobot.net/slash/bits-and-pieces/slash/34. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to us with your favorite podcatcher on iOS. You can use Overcast FM or the built-in podcast app. On Android, you can use Podcast Addict or Pocket Casts. One of those will cost you money, the other won't. It will be surprised when you look at your credit card statement later on. <laughs> we also love feedback, so hit us up on Twitter at Madwoods Music or at Echolocks. Um, we love feedback. We're on the internet all day long and we're in two different time zones, so one of us will respond very quickly. You can also support the whole network directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And one of the rewards there is getting a shout out on one or all of the shows. So special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Lange. See you next week. Bye.